Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast. A real look at single parenting, how to navigate the ups and downs of life with kids on your own while keeping sane. We cover all manner of subjects from domestic violence, dealing with childhood trauma, through to fussy eaters and how to help your kids become resilient. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. This week's guest has a coaching business, a communication, is a communication facilitator and leadership mentor. Leaving school with no qualifications, a result of severe dyslexia and bullying, he very quickly excelled his way in adult life and a career by cultivating the art of listening, watching and reading human behaviour to figure out what makes people tick. Being one of the first leading drag artists and only male cosmetic salesperson in Northern Ireland during the times before the ceasefire was quite a challenge, yet this didn't stop him breaking down barriers and bringing communities of people together. Marcus Hunter Neal knows how to identify a weakness or quirky characteristic and turn it into a strength and his knowledge helps others to help inspire and drive themselves forward in their own careers. If anyone knows how to conquer a blockage of self-belief or esteem, it's Marcus. As well as running a successful business, Marcus has worked with the BBC, Channel 4, ITV, UTV, This Morning and many others while continuing his successful drag career globally. He also has his own production company and is currently working on his first novel, Again, Another Challenge with Dyslexia. So welcome to the Strong, Single and Human podcast. Hi, welcome Marcus Hunter-Neal, who is Lady P from Dating is Such a Drag podcast. Welcome. Ah, good morning, my little cherub. How are you? Hello, I'm great. I'm fab. I can't wait to delve in to who you are oh and goodness. the subject we want to talk about. I just need to ask. About. I have yeah. to ask. Um, how are things down under? Things are lovely down under. We're warming <laughs> up down under. <laughs> well, we well we're cooling down up here. I'm wow. in sunny Belfast, Northern Ireland, where basically they made the Titanic, and I, I can know. I can see. I can see that from my um, window. I can see oh. where I can see the shipyard where they built the Titanic. Um, I, I have but, only been to two places in Ireland. I've been to Cork, mm-hmm. lovely, lovely, awesome Cork, and I've been to Belfast. I didn't do the standard, normal stuff of going to yeah. Dublin and all of that stuff where everyone from yeah. the UK goes to. And I loved Belfast. I thought it was great. And I went and mm-hmm. visited where the Titanic was built. My, you might you might have driven past oh. my house. So this is literally my favorite. My, I give this to everybody. So do you see this? For anyone that, uh, for all of the listeners oh. out there, I'm holding up a fridge magnet, and it That's is awesome. it's half of the Titanic sinking, um, and it's just the tail up, and it says "ship happens" yeah. because in life, ship happens, and we just have to roll with it. Well, it does. <laughs> it does. So yeah. look, tell us a bit about you and who you are. And like well, how you've got to is, doing this podcast and doing what you do now. Yeah. 
So basically, my name is Marcus Hunter-Neal, as you said, and for the last 23 years, I have been working as um, Lady Portia de Monte, the most beautiful face um, in Northern Ireland, never to be discovered. Um, and I would be known as Northern Ireland's first lady of drag um, because I would be very sort of like, you know, Jackie O-esque, very front row fashion week in, in my um, in my get up. Oh, and I've always used drag is kind of used in the right way, a superpower, because it commands attention as soon as you walk in. Now, whenever I started 23 years ago wow. and maybe a bit um they like there was no scene you know there was one gay bar and nobody their drag wasn't really a thing there was a drag queen that kind of dj'd and there was another one that stood on the door but there was no there was no performances there was no entertainment and in dublin we had seen these shows that were happening and and we approached the bar and this is this is how different times were. The bar owner was like, men dressed as women, like would that even be a thing? And um and he and we said, Well, it seems to work down south. And um they said, Well, we'll we'll give you a go on a Sunday because we've got like nine people, so it's not like you can destroy a night. And their their, their Sunday nights became busier than their Fridays and Saturdays. Then we started wow. doing, you know, karaoke during the week. Uh, pub quizzes during the week I hosted and went round everybody my job get this on a Friday my first job was collecting people's email addresses because emails are such a new thing oh my god and it was like do you have an email address because like we can send you messages to let you know if things are happening wow. <laughs> and also my early shows were on a cassette tape <laughs> oh my god like winding up yeah. you see the DJs and I was going ah and they would put the pencil in and wind them up and karaoke was on a videotape <sighs> where you had to um, say somebody was picking I am what I am it might say you know video number like V4 so that would be video number 4 43.5 seconds in so you'd fast forward or rewind to 43.5 oh and then god. press play and somebody would sing karaoke <laughs> so oh my god then our show became really big and really popular and we moved um bars and venues and it became like the second venue that we went to it was a bar and they had a club attached to it but th basically we jammed the place out that they had to legally put in two extra fire doors. So the owner was like, wow. I, can't, I can't get over this. So behind where we'd, but once we got onto the stage, it was this tiny little six foot by like four foot stage. But, and it was in the middle of the room. Once we got on it, we couldn't leave it because people were shoulder to shoulder. So they eventually bought the building next door and um, behind the wall that, that we did and knocked it knocked our show into that and built this whole oh stage and theater space lights around it and it was it was the most popular event in northern ireland at the time because it was like people would be queued it'd be one person in one person out because that's how busy it was and then like a lot of things some egos just got a little bit big for them and I, it just got to sort of thing where it's like this just isn't really my vibe you know anymore like yeah and one person was like I'm going to work all of you out of this show and then it'll be my show and that person did get their wish and their solo show didn't last 
because it was, you know, when you've got the right mix and the right blend, then that's what the magic is. It's not based on one individual person. It's be- it's based on, you know, the blend of 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 people, you know. Um, and I I always worked in in cosmetics, or I I always worked, and then I worked for a long time in cosmetics, and then I ran um Look Good Feel Better, which is a cosmetics cancer charity. So. I always had in the back of my sort of toolkit because everybody in life has a toolkit to success, which you don't realize what it is. One of mine is if I need to do something or grab attention or, or do whatever, I can, I can do it in, in drag. I can say, look, I'll jump into drag and it'll either grab, you know, the press. So, for example, whenever we were doing the marriage equality, um, we, we were sort of like, you know, championing for um, marriage equality. When they were doing the press call, I used to say to the guys, even though it was 11 o'clock in the morning and it takes me three and a half hours to get ready, I was like, I'll oh get my in the because that way they'll, they'll be more likely to put photographs of me in drag into the papers rather than just a bunch of ordinary, not ordinary looking people, but drag just adds that, you know, elevates everything and it's the same whenever we whenever I would be doing talks or um you know at the rally and stuff like that there people always stopped and listened to what I had to say because here is here is this um spectacle on a stage and you know whenever I started doing drag people had never really experienced because we were coming out of the troubles um, in Northern Ireland. Yeah, so, now explain so explain the troubles because we're talking to people were... globally. Now, I know what they are because I came from the UK, yeah. so I understand all of that. Yeah. But, like, yeah, and some people here are Irish, yeah. have come from Ireland yeah. and understand, but many people aren't. So, so, so the um, long and short of it, in a, in a, to sort of summarise, there was a lot of civil unrest around religion and land and for basically 35 years Belfast was shooting itself and blowing itself apart um, and you had different you had different sectors of the community so you would have had like Protestants and Catholics and everybody just lived in their community they didn't come in they only came into the city centre to work and then it went home and the city centre was a ghost town um, after after six o'clock apart from gays and punks because they couldn't be themselves in their own area because everything was very conservative. So the peace process happened and people started to venture out. So I, for a lot of people, was their first representation of what was what what gay was, because maybe they hadn't met gay people. You know, it wasn't it wasn't back then, you know, a thing like, you know, now like, oh my God, they're gay, that that's great. So people hadn't really experienced what what sort of gay was because they'd only seen what it was on television and it was always campy or if they did know somebody it was like they it was a secret so this is an example whenever I started my career I started off working in special needs um, and the principal of the school called me in on my last uh, in the summer of the my penultimate year she mm-hmm. couldn't sing my praises enough saying how amazing I was and I was doing like bus runs at the end of the school and like looking after two two brothers who were in the school and she was going like everyone loves you the parents love you we all love you Uh, basically as soon as you're qualified there will be a job for you here please stay in that summer somebody the secretary's daughter 
um, in law was one of the the people working on the summer scheme. Her husband, who's a secretary's son, um, on our sort of staff night out at the end of the summer scheme, just walked over to me and here he goes, "Are you gay or what?" And I was, and at the time I had a boyfriend, and I've always been very secure in my own skin because I had the life beaten out of me for five years for just literally being myself. Um, wow. And so I was like, you know, fuck you. <laughs> you know, I'm, you're, you're not literally <laughs> not going to intimidate me in any way, shape or form. So I very no. simply said, I said, yes, and what of it? So it completely put him on the back foot because he was expecting me to sort of be like, oh, uh, uh, no, for him to go, I are, I are. I was like, yeah, and? So that got back to the principal and she wouldn't let me back into the school because <gasps> there was this mantra around gay is you, if you're gay, you must be a pedophile. So then why would why would a, why would a gay person want to work so with vulnerable bad. children? So there must there must be. So she wouldn't let me back in the school. So that it, so that was all going on. And that was in the zeitgeist. And wow. the, we had these big adverts around um, AIDS and. So there was a real stigma around. Well, I was going to say, yeah. we had like, that sort yeah. of era, like 90s mm-hmm. and beginning of 2000, yeah. was AIDS. was yeah. like every, you know, Freddie Mercury died of AIDS and all yeah. of this stuff. We had various different people and you had who were, you know. In the early 90s and it was like big tombstones and like people yeah. putting AIDS, like, like, putting the, the word AIDS is a death sentence. And so there was this thing around if it was if you were gay, you were somewhat dirty or a pedophile or you were going to give everybody AIDS. And so when we started doing shows, then I went out and started doing like solo work in straight bars, which had never been done. And I was the first I was like I was like the entry drug <laughs> for people to what gay was. But because my package, so I always I knew that drag was a, was a superpower if used well. So I went in and I was everybody's friend and people were going, my God, like here's a gay person. I didn't realize gay people were so nice. I didn't realize gay people were so fun. Porsche's lovely. So you were opening minds without them even realizing what 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 you were doing. And the wonderful thing about that is over the last lot of years I the amount of people that have come up to me and said I was able to come out because my mum and dad had met you first or they you know my mum and dad had knew you and seen you do stuff and they and they would come home and then it was okay for me to say that I was that I was gay so they're by you know making a statement without even saying a word by just being yourself you don't know the impact that you have on no. people's lives when you're living your life. So always put yeah. your best foot forward because you don't know who's who's watching from um, anywhere else. And then whenever I was working in, in cosmetics, I um, very quickly, the, all the teams that I was working with were doing phenomenally. Like they couldn't, on, they literally couldn't understand like why we were so productive. And I worked for Benefit Cosmetics and there there used to be this saying where there was the Benefit way or the Marcus way. We don't know what it is that Marcus does, but if you can do the Mar- the Marcus way, that's fine. And um, then I wasn't 100% sure what it was, but now because I work in leadership and personal development, I know exactly what, what it was that I was doing. And I was, you know, I was seeing, I was giving the girls respect. I was praising them for everything that they did. And I was rewarding them for, for, for doing the work. So 
they felt validated for everything. It wasn't like I was going, right, I need you to make your target or uh, you're in trouble. I was like, right, yeah. we're all in this together. We're a team. Where where are we at target-wise? And everything would be broken down. I always stuck 10% on the top of the weekly target so that no matter what we were what we were aiming for, usually by Wednesday or Thursday, we had the week's target made. So everything else was a bonus. Every time the girls did it, I signed out a product and I was like, listen, that was brilliant. Or the girls did, you know, some makeup on somebody and I'd walk over and I'd really praise the girls in front of the client. And, you know, and and everybody felt really included. So when you are working in any form of a team and you've got any form of leadership, always make sure that your team are seen and heard and feel validated and appreciated. Because I was working for a big global company and we were doing um, a workshop with with their top leaders in, um, I think it was over in America, in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, that is America. Um, and this the guy, we had flown some of them in from all around the world, and this guy was from Germany. And he had this wonderful realization that he doesn't need praise or thanks or acknowledgement. He just gets on with the job, which is a very German thing to do. It's very like, you know, this is this is my job and I... And, Whereas listening to everybody collectively, because everybody was from all around the world and bringing their different stories and sharing their different things. So then through the workshops, and this was a year long course that they were on that we were running. And um, he, the next time we were all together, his big takeaway was, I didn't need recognition. I don't need, you know, to be told that I, that I am greater, but I now understand other people do. So he, there was such a change in his management and his style whenever he started to acknowledge his team because he they were doing the work and he was just going, well, it's basically your job. What of it? So it's the, that my secret sauce was I was so grateful that the girls were doing such a great job. It kept everybody off my back. Here's a couple of testers. They were work, starting to build up their kit for makeup artists. These are free testers that come in. They don't come off my top line budget. There's no, you know, it's just like crack on, do whatever. And they work their their socks off you know and it was a really kind environment that we worked in because say one of the girls had a really bad period life happens sometimes a girl needs to go into like a room and cuddle herself for like half an hour or take a bit of a longer lunch or go I didn't I genuinely didn't give two shits what the girls did or their times were as long as all the targets were hit. So in that in that wiggle room, if you need to go to a doctor's appointment or your mum isn't well or your child is sick, that's fine because you're a human being first and we can make everything else work. Whereas other people work on, well, this is your job. I don't care that your son's not sick. Get your mummy to look after him. And that's that's the difference in how people show up not just for you, but for, for companies and their teams whenever they feel that their contribution is valid, you know? So then I took, I took that and I've always worked in, in like as a, as a coach, kind of helping people with their careers and in their lives. And then whenever, um, and drag always being such a powerful tool, and I always made, made sure that people saw the contribution that I was doing. So 10 years working for a cosmetics cancer charity and to raise its profile, I would do these real women fashion shows and I hosted it in drag. So again, you've got this giant captive audience. Wow. The real, there was no professional models. It, they were all real women from every shape real and women, size and age. Which is what we need. Yep. 
so that the women who were in the audience could identify themselves on the catwalk. So there was women from their 60s down to 16. There was a size six up to a size 24. There was a five foot wow. eight to, or maybe six foot two down to like a five foot nothing. So all the different proportions were there um, on stage. And and because you're showing people you matter, you don't need to be six foot four to, you know, to wear, because one of the things that my mum is heavier and short, and she always says anything looks good on somebody tall and thin, which is true. You could put them in a paper bag and belt it and it would, and a necklace, it would still look lovely. So that was, you're always giving people, allowing them to see themselves where, wherever you go. So again my then these are all things adding into my toolkit and who i am and what i'm doing and drag when it needs to be pulled out can be pulled out to do to do whatever and then um i started i i was asked to come and work with a with a company and um that's where the girl got me into you know actually doing what i do but as a she's like you know you're what what you do, you can't teach people. And I was like, well, at this stage, I was like, I don't really know what it is I do, I just do it. She goes, that's your secret sauce because you're so infectious that you actually make people strive to do better. So then I started training then in coaching and development and help and then working with this global um, company. And we'd be all, we'd fly all around the world and work with big international companies. And um, I'm literally just back from, I did a, a back-to-back where I went London with an event to Toronto with event, like within the space of 10 days, same event brought over, back for three days to Belfast and then back to London for a completely different event. So then... Um, so COVID was a rest for you then? Well, COVID was amazing for me, I have to say, because all of my life, I, everything I've been doing, I've been doing for other people. So I'm designing this program for somebody else. I'm doing so it allowed me to actually 100% make home my skills, sit down and figure out what is it that I that I want to do, where do I want to take myself. So I had stillness. I had the art of wow. stillness. Gave you time. I, I set up a um, a charity and I did like a global helping hands charity, and um, I designed three new coaching programs. I became the Irish ambassador for Mind Valley. If you've ever heard of them, so no, uh, but that sounds awesome. So Mind Valley is this amazing um, uh, global leader or development personal development program where every aspect of your life is covered. And they have the best speakers of like they have the best of the best speakers. So the likes of Lisa Nichols does like coaching programs. They do things around lucid dreaming. They do things about conscious uncoupling. They do things around leadership development. They do personal development. They do keep fit. They do food. So it's kind of all in this one amazing umbrella. Wow, all encompassing. It's such an awesome and and then the whole community comes together and um and does all these different big wonderful events it's so it's so incredible so for me I love people I also love my own time so I am because I'm very secure within my own skin and very comfortable being on my own and with my own thoughts a year a year on my own in this apartment like look at it it's gorgeous it was great it was a gift it is it's fantastic. It. People can't see it, but it is. It's like absolutely so awesome. I was, I was like, this is the best gift for me because I'm, I'm on my own. And then I set up 
um, yeah. some bingos. So I did, I knew that for a lot of my shows that I do, because I do still do um, weekly drag shows, that a lot of my customers were slightly older and it was their only, their only night out. And then for some people who were maybe on their own, who didn't have the same mindset as me. And, you know, we're social animals. We're designed to be social animals. So we, run, we like to run in, in packs. So I set up weekly bingos, Zoom bingos in drag, and I would do like cabaret and get people all and, and, and all on Zoom. And you on Zoom, you can like spotlight somebody. All in all your in apartment. apartment. So I beamed all around the world. I did <laughs> Friday night drinks. So it was the same idea because I also realized that social interaction had gone and the water cooler moments and, you know, people just going, having a couple of drinks and a bit of a debrief, that had all gone. So I set up Friday night drinks bingo where different companies could patch in and I would just take the hand out of everybody and we played bingo. Bingo was so secondary. It was the hook. But it was more a drinking game, and you know, and then I was, we'd be, you know, making fun with people and um, spotlighting different people and making fun of their background and being like, like, like you've got this book cabinet. I'd be like, so those bookshelves are they there just to make you look intelligent, or have you read all those books? You know, because then there's some people who go, they, I've never read any of them. They're all fake. <laughs> yeah, they're all fake. <laughs> you know it's what I mean? Fake. So then I, I, I felt like I'd be somebody would be in their bedroom, and I'd be like, would you not think of making your bed before you came on the Zoom, like because people yeah. can see it. So it was it was just a lovely light relief. And then on a Saturday, I did like Zoom bingo for the scene, like where people could patch in. And then I set up Christmas parties. So there was no Christmas parties happening. So I did wow. Zoom, Zoom no, exactly. Christmas, Christmas parties, which was the same idea. And it was all, so it was giving people a bit of an interaction and they still had something to look forward to with work because everything yeah. was so strange, you know? So with the drag stuff, right? So I know you started it like 20 odd years ago, yeah. but have you always always wanted to do drag or was it just sort of like a means to making money i mean you were gay and you just thought well that would be cool so that would be a cool I, idea what was it how did you get into yeah, that i'm also very severely dyslexic right so i really struggle right. to read spell write all that type of thing so that's why thankfully i'm a good talker as you can see yeah. <laughs> um, and i was very lucky because i went to a school um, in my early years it was a german school called rudolf steiner and wow. the steiner education system is all about expanding children's minds before you cram in academia so it was getting children open to color art design thoughts you know they were very it's very much about thought leadership like get children to think before, like about the world and the environment that they're in and what their contribution is to the world that they're in versus one plus one equals two we've got steiners yeah. over here we've got steiners and there's some other name that they're called yeah. as well i can't think what the name is but we've got sort of schools that don't have a curriculum and whenever it came to whenever it came to like fun time and dressing up I, there was a bridesmaid's dress and I always wanted to be a bridesmaid because I, in my head, I always thought bridesmaids had the best deal. They got to wear the pretty dress and they got to do whatever they wanted. The bride always, to me, looked like a work. 
because she was having to go around everybody and get photographs, whereas the bridesmaids were in these wonderful dresses and having a ball, you know, and, and doing their own thing. So whenever I was younger, that's what I wanted to be. When people would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'd be like, I want to be a bridesmaid. And because of the school that I went to and my mum and dad being very cool, you know, they I was never discouraged from anything, but it was kind of like, uh, do you want to maybe be, we should be like a bridesman? And I was like, no, I want to be the bridesmaid because they wear lovely clothes. Um, and it was like, okay, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but so your mum and dad never had any issues. Did you have to come out to your mum and dad? What what happened there? Or did they just no, know? I, they went, yeah. No, yeah I well. have never really been in. I came, God help my mum, I came out of her womb with a top hat and a cane. And let, let, no, that's yeah, great. Going like, where's my light? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm ready for my close up. <laughs> Wipe this gunk <laughs> off me and get the camera out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh my God, um, that's awesome. So, yeah. ta da! They, they have always been very cool. I, I've always been who I, who I have. So, for example, you know, like kids, kids party pieces at, you know, parties and at family functions and gatherings and all the kids get up and do poems and like wee hymns and sing songs. Mum and dad were having this this party and, um, in their house and they always had the first Saturday after New Year's, all the family together, aunts and uncles and cousins and their aunts and uncles and my grandparents and, and all the kids are doing like hymns. So because it was in our house, I slipped off. Um, to get into like a wee outfit because I thought, well, I'm if I'm just going to elevate the, my performance, right? <laughs> so I just came to the hall door and my dad is kind of sitting by the door with his back to it. And I just opened the door ajar and he's sitting by the crack. And I was like, daddy, introduce me. So he didn't know. He just was like, didn't know what I was wearing. He just thought I had gone out to make an entrance. And then I burst in in one of my sister's outfits. And they're all sitting going, what? I'm like six or seven. And they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> There's like Christian <laughs> Presbyterian family and someone's just sung, what a friend we have oh in Jesus. Oh my God. And I come out in my sister's outfit, her boots and a hair clip and singing Betty Boo doing the do. <laughs> and everyone's like, okay, right. So the next year I went to go and, but nobody made me feel like there was no shame attached to it. It was just like, oh, well, that was great. No. Let's go and get you changed now and, you know, rejoin the party. And <laughs> nobody ever was like, Don't. So no comments, no, no nobody no, in the family like weird. made like derogatory comments like, oh, boys don't yeah. dress as girls or, you know, yeah. anything like that. You were just like, that's awesome. Yeah. That's what you do. Well the done. The thing is, I'm, I'm what a great voice. very aware of that. That's such a privilege because with my years and especially – doing drag as long as I have, I've seen the ugly side of how families have completely like organ rejected family wow. members and they have been cut yeah. out and cast out. Whereas I, I know that, that, that I was very lucky to not be ever be in that, in that scenario. So that's why I'm, I've worked very hard with homeless to, um, suicide around homosexuality. Like we had a very large, um, male suicide rate over here and especially around men that could, were from deprived areas that didn't feel that they had a voice or could talk or share their feelings or, or come out. So a lot of my work that I've done over the years is like just saying it's okay to be gay, basically, and trying to change hearts. Yeah, we we had it here in the 80s and 90s in Australia. It was yeah. massive. Like um, 
people being pushed off cliffs oh because they were gay and like you know being beaten up and it was horrendous there, there's a brilliant tv show um that i watched on netflix and i think it was called deep water or dark water and it was a true it's a true story miniseries around sydney where basically like 20 years later they figured out and found out who all the the perpetrators were um, and yeah there were still deaths um mis mysterious deaths um from some of the guys um who, who they just don't know like who the murderers are you know it's just it's terrible it's terrible but like you know sydney wasn't the only place it was happening in melbourne and i'm sure it was happening in ireland and in the uk in various different places you know it wasn't 80s 90s was not a um hey everyone's can be who they are it was you know like, really... for example the bar that i the bar that i worked in and this is what i'm saying about the troubles and you know people us blowing each other and shooting ourselves um apart so there was a, a gay policeman and they the gay policemen couldn't really come out because you know it was it was so stigmatized as well that the ira knew that one of the guy the guy and that's who they targeted as well was like prison officers and police officers and um so they literally walked into the gay bar and right up to this gay policeman shot him and turned and walked and walked back out again but that's what and, happened in those um, days and that, that happened yeah nuts isn't it for like you know it was like like two two strikes against him one he was gay two he was um a policeman bloody hell. yeah and just literally walked in and shot him in in a public bar on, on a saturday night so that's that's what happened. That was the eighties. God love him. So that's the great thing is like, yeah, changed, changed times, which is, which is, which is wonderful. Um, and then because again, my toolkit was, I can't read, write or spell, but here's, here's a way of making money. That's actually fun. And I've always been into theater and I was doing performing arts and stuff at the time. So getting up on stage and lip syncing and stuff meant that I could still make the same amount of money on the fun side of the bar versus my friends who would start a shift at six and finish at 3 a.m you know working behind the bar and also i didn't it didn't matter that i couldn't read and didn't, i didn't need to spell anything and then whenever it came to collecting people's email addresses and i can't spell i just handed them the sheet and then i had baked nails on i said oh will you, you write down your own email because i can't i can't write with these nails so i always had a little tool around everything and then um and that, that that's how it all worked and then the show built into what it was and i ventured off into makeup and you know and then i've just kind of created this 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 life for myself you know and everything is kind of ebbed and flowed and i'm a great believer in rolling with life and seeing the opportunities that are presented in front of you and instead of talking yourself out of them go let's let's run with this and see see where it takes us if it works it works if it doesn't or we're on one path thinking that we're going somewhere and then a little splinter path comes and it's even better and because you've just rolled with life yeah. you know you haven't missed it yeah and i think i think you're right um you need to be true to yourself you've got to be who you are because at the end of the day if you're not you're going to be unhappy because you're not, you know, yeah. you're, you're living a split life. A wonderful example, yeah. A great example of that was a couple of years ago, um, before COVID, I started having a little dalliance with um, this guy. And he was a teacher where, from, the town that I, <clears throat> from the town that I was from. And he worked in a similar school 
special needs school and in a, in a regular primary school and he wanted his goal was to become a principal um, of, of a school right now he was a year younger than me and um, nobody knew that he was gay he had a pretend girlfriend at, because he knew because he was in the same environment that I would have been in if once that principal didn't let me back into the school I had to finish off my um, my qualifications in a regular preschool nursery which is not where my heart lay so I was like I'm out of this because if I can't be if I I'm gonna have to spend my entire life like trying to like either not be myself or do something else I'm gonna do performing arts because that same summer that I got put out of the school I also did a London performing arts course during I got onto this like in this national um drama and I was like well I'm just gonna do this because here's a second passion and interestingly, then 20 years after that, and, I, and I'm living my best life and everything that I do, I love. And, you know, and I meet somebody who is like a mirror to what my, the sliding doors moment of what my life would have been. He's got a pretend wow. girlfriend that he, that everyone thinks that, you know, so when he goes into work, he's got girlfriend. a girlfriend. Does she think she's, does she think he's, she's his girlfriend? No, or? he doesn't have a girlfriend. Oh, so, oh, so, so he's made up, up somebody. He's no, not got somebody no, there that he takes no, along to like work functions. You know, they, that's they a friend. His that... private life doesn't. So oh in in work, people think that he's this straight man because he even said, "I would never wow. be a principal if people knew that I was gay." So that that's yeah, so sad. So that, is, that like that was two years ago. And the thing is, like, you can tell a mile off that he's gay. He wears, like, skinny, skinny, tight, you know, checkered trousers and all this type of thing. And, you know, and, and he's got that kind of, like, aura. But he doesn't have the confidence. And the culture where he works is not, you know, it's not acceptable. So it's... No. I can't believe that's still around I now. have been... I have lost out in work, like, just a few years ago um, because people were too afraid to have somebody... As, as as forward thinking and as comfortable in their own skin it was kind of like we we and it was like a corporate thing and it was kind of like it's okay to be gay if you don't talk about it or you don't say anything or and I'm like well how how the hell can I be at this stage you know 16 years as a drag queen no one and doing television and everything in drag and then coming into an environment yeah. going whoa my wife Brenda you know it was like I like I yeah. And people would say, you know, you would write your own ticket in here if you weren't gay. And then somebody, I'd have like side conversations with people and they were like, you know, it's just a shit. Don't, don't be like the gay version. And I was like, well, people in here aren't the straight version. And, um, and someone, because I, I was working in a, in a media organization and they were like, don't, don't be a gay presenter. Um, and I was like, I'm not a gay presenter. I happen to be. I'm, I'm a, a presenter. presenter. I said, I happen to be gay and a presenter. The straight presenters aren't straight presenters. They're just presenters. So I said to one person who actually said, it's such a shame, like literally to me, it is such a shame that, you know, because you actually would do so well in, in here if you weren't gay. And I said, listen, all I'm going to say to you is replace gay with black. If you said the same conversation with me, do you think that would be acceptable? I know that I'm completely being held back because this organization 
doesn't support because you just have to look around at the culture and the people there was people who were gay in the organization that you know weren't out and couldn't come out and knew that it would be it would go against them if they if they were out so the culture wasn't wasn't there to support and i i was parachuted in as this all singing all, all dancing and they were like oh winning awards like, quite I literally, literally <laughs> i won independent awards um and instead of celebrating it they were like right we need to you know let, and at one point they took me off air we need to hide you like put him in a cupboard <gasps> don't let him don't let him have a voice Oh my God. Well, yeah. thank God you have voices in mm. other ways, like with podcasting, YouTube, getting on TV, because, wow, I just think that's yeah. terrible. That's, but, I mean, this that's is, a nightmare. It's so, a reality sometimes. People see the fun Mardi Gras and, you know, and the prides and everyone's all singing all that. Yeah. And they go, why do we need stuff like this? The, the reason why we have prides is actually to start getting gay being normalized. Gays only really been normalised because we've just had things like marriage equality. That's small things that is just normalising and like a, a group of a group of people that you know it still needs to understand that we may we may have the right to marry, but in some organisations and in some workplaces we don't have the right to even acknowledge our existence. So be gay, but don't talk about That's your partner. Terrible. Don't you know? Don't come in and say at the weekend you met a fella. But it's okay for Julie to come in and been like, "Oh my God, I was blocked, and I think I had sex with two guys." You know, that's all. That's all fine because <laughs> she she was she's yeah. straight. So it's it's also organising. And the thing is, a lot of the companies that I work with, um, you know, I do, I do global work around diversity, inclusion, belonging, and wellness to getting organisations to just understand that language has changed, how we do what we do, and how to allow people just to show up for their very best selves because I work a lot around cognitive um, behaviors. And when you've got diversity, if you've got diversity and everybody thinks the same the same way, that's not really diversity. That's just the same thinkers in different packages. What you need to really for a thriving business are cognitive diversity and diversity within within cultures. Because then people are saying, well, I can see this scenario that you're talking about or this product that you're talking about but here's how it would appeal to the likes of like my organization or the the, the tribe that I belong to my age group you know and you need all different types of age groups and sexes and you know and races and cultures and so that everyone's coming at it and going well here's how we actually package the best product for everyone not just you know men in suits going well we quite like this and unfortunately, in some organisations. But how do you deal with how do you, how do you deal with that situation? How do you deal with a situation where people basically are chastising you and saying, "Right, well, you know, we're going to lock you all up, lock your gayness up in a box, and you're going to have to be straight for it to be acceptable." How do you deal so with that? The, Apart from leave yeah. the job, because I would be like. Okay, see you later. I'm leaving. And also, how do you support your kid who's in that situation? So a lot of as it well? is microaggressions and um, subtle passive aggressive behaviour. Um, so they'll you'll just not get promoted, or you'll not be front facing, or your ideas will be turned down. 
but given to somebody else to to promote and um, and share. So it's identifying that first because sometimes you might not even realize it's you just every time you go for this job you don't know why you don't get it you know and like you're the best person for the job and and you're you're not getting it so it's starting to identify then it's looking around well what what is the culture in this building are there other gay people who are out and talking and you might know somebody else from the scene and say like do you how do you feel about this then you realize that there the culture is keeping you down nobody ever really walks up all the side conversations to me were from people who were completely well-wishing, kind of going, it's a sheep, don't be a gay presenter. Like they were trying to almost help me. But what they didn't realize that they were saying was, you know, the fact that you're, that you're allowing this kind of thing, you need to be an ally and stand up and say, instead of telling me, dim your light, how do we as a as a straight person go i don't accept this so when you are in an environment and if you're a straight ally an allyship is people who are there to support um, everybody diversity and sexuality and any form of inclusion so if you're sitting in a room and the likes of me walks out and somebody makes a very derogatory joke or whatever you know, you can flag that at the time and just go to the person and say, I know that you didn't really, you know, five years ago, that would have been really funny. And, you know, I get I get where you're at and stuff. But, you know, in today's culture, that's just not really acceptable. And Or if you see that, that someone is clearly not getting promoted and then you're, you question why, why, what is it? And they can't really give an answer. On paper, they are the best. Like, you know, they did the best interview. They've got the best qualifications but you didn't give them the job. So there has to be something. And you're questioning as a straight ally, why is this? And then eventually you're like, it's not a gay person going, oh, it's gay rights, because then they're able to go see. But can you, if you've applied for a job, can you ask for feedback? And can you like, because they, they've likely, got- you'll never, you'll never get that. you never answer. get it? You know, yeah, oh, they'll just be like, you, just... you know, so it, 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 it's, you have to change the culture rather than the in individual settings. So whenever you're you're talking about changing hearts and minds and culture, um, I do a lot of work with NSPCC and Childline in wow. Marcus, as Marcus and as Portia, because they want children to see that diversity exists. So when you're changing hearts and minds from a from a young when if you're if you grow up with something it's not strange and it's not different it just it is what it is it's the it's the adult so when you when you're expanding children's minds like the, the steiner you know everyone's equal everything is fine and you're free to love whoever you want to love and do whatever that's what people grow up with and it doesn't make any form of an issue which is now why from like 26 down uh, kids, you know, they they don't care. They're they're fluid sexuality. They, you know, they're gay one day, they're bisexual another day. They're straight. They're, you know, with some. They don't have the same guilt and shame and hang up. Which a lot of that came through the church going, you must be this way, and the school system being, you must be this way, and they're kind of going, well, this doesn't really work for us. And which is why in the dating and love podcast that I do, we speak to so many experts all around the world. And polyamory is something that is really coming into the zeitgeist where you've got more than three people in a relationship or 
uh, like couples, straight couples, have open relationships and they go to like you know they explore different different areas of their of their sexuality because they don't care, they don't have the same hangups that it was like you must get married to one person, have children and a career, and then retire and then have grandchildren and that's it. And then nobody ever questioned the status quo. Whereas now, and I think with lockdown, it completely catapulted, you know, progression tenfold. Because people are going, I don't need to be in an office. And I, I'm more valuable to you as a worker than you are to me as an employer because I can get a job anywhere. So these zero or contracts and all this, this doesn't work for me. And I want to work from home a few days a week because I can be more productive at home. I can get the same amount of work done in less time. And I'm, if not I, more, I'm yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So if, if not you more. Want me, these are my conditions. So that's how you change culture. So it, whenever it comes to the to adults, it's it's setting up new neurological pathways for them to understand that what you're doing and what you're saying and the environment that you're creating isn't isn't suitable in today's in today's modern world. And it might be one old timer who or like you know someone with very strong religious beliefs that's going. Well, I mean, it says it in the Bible, so like I am running this ship like that. This is the way we've we've always run it. But then the thing is, you alienate so many so many people, and it's but is it though? Is it is it the way that we've always run it? If you look at the Romans and you look at the Greeks and you look at their artwork, right? Their artwork says they had multiple, yeah. like they had orgies and stuff like yeah. that. You know, so no, I'm not condoning always, orgies, yeah. but so when I say all, it's always been. Minus those, minus those eras. So as soon as the education system and religion kind of came into, you must be Christian. And these are the values that, that are in, in this book and you must live by these books. And because the thing is, um, so hom the homosexuality wasn't in the Bible until 550. And it was actually Emperor Julian's wife put it in because at that time, male on male sex was the higher form of sex and women were simply designed for breeding and Emperor Julian's wife was uh, she had really bad miscarriages really bad periods and women suffer so much um, yeah. and the thing is that in in all of these scenarios gay and women are you know are, 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 are the, the cast down to the second class citizens because women are subservient always to their men Eve wasn't the first woman on earth Here's a real shocker for you. The first woman oh my on God. Earth was Lilith. And Lilith, in the original Bibles, she had her own mind and her own way of thinking. And because um, she wasn't subservient to Adam, they cast her out into the like underworld as a demon. And that's why Eve came from Adam's rib. Um, so she was an exact replica of Adam, which means that because she was an exact replica of Adam, Adam could have had his head turned by the snake to eat from the tree of knowledge. Also, why would it be why would it be a sin to have knowledge? You know, so here is this stupid woman who we could have been living in the Garden of Eden, and she has taken the she has taken knowledge. She has tried to educate herself and know more. And she so this woman has destroyed everything. How Adam narcissistic is that, though, yeah. that Adam's gone, oh, well, I can't get on with that woman, so mm -hmm. I'm going to dump her like and send her down, yeah, mm -hmm. and I'm going to make somebody out of myself. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm.
No, I didn't know any of that. I'm really agnostic. So I'm like, yeah. look, put me in a bin bag and have mushrooms yeah. grow out of me because that's well, sort of, you know, as long as my body's feeding people. Yeah, I have to kind of, when you're, when people are throwing the Bible at you and quoting this oh, and quoting that, they've only imagine. read the King James Bible. Whereas my, my history and my research goes deeper than that. And I'm going, well, do you know in the original Bibles that you're actually, they were all doctored and tweaked to suit society at that time. Here's where all these things were added in, that people couldn't read, write, or spell in those days. So the priests and kings and emperors all tweaked stuff, pay your way into heaven. Priests and nuns and monks weren't, didn't have to give themselves to Jesus. Like So Catholic priests um, didn't have to be celibate. They used to originally have wives and husbands, but when they died and they were, they were very wealthy because they were, you know, a lot of their, yeah, a lot of, their of the money church. came from, yeah. And when they died, their children inherited their wealth. So then all of a sudden the, the Catholic church went, ah, okay, let's make them celibate. So their wealth comes to the church. And it's no surprise that the, the Vatican state, that little tiny mile by mile state, oh, no. if it was sold, would cancel out world hunger three times over. You know, wow. with all the wealth that's on wow. that state. I know, and they basically sit there and they say, you know, they're all for the do for the good of whatever. But um... well, you look at the the AIDS crisis in Africa, um, because the Africans are are very Christian. A lot of them are, are Christian and believe that the Pope speaks directly to Jesus um, and God, and whatever he says is gospel because. They're, they're not, um, they haven't had as much education. They haven't been advanced um, as, as much as, as we have over in, in these kind of places. So they still believe that narrative that whatever the Pope says, it's a directly from God. So when the Pope says, do not use birth control, do not use condoms, that is why the spread of HIV is so rife in Africa. And so many women are dying, men are dying, children are becoming orphans or are born. No, children are born with HIV because the Pope will not say a condom, like it could help to be eradicated through, through condoms. Now, the good thing is there's a, a pill called PrEP that they have come across, which is a bit like the pill for women to stop women getting pregnant. PrEP stops and blocks the spread of HIV. So if you're if you don't have HIV and you take PrEP and you're you're with somebody that has, you'll not you'll not get it. So we're now coming into an era where it's starting to you know get uh, it'll eradicate itself with this. But that's that's what I mean about when you're in you know religious organisations that just point blank refuse to actually help mankind. You know it says it in the Bible, so it must be true. It's such a frustrating book um, because so many people actually take it as gospel and, and like, yeah. quote it and stuff like that. And I just sit there and go, guys, it's a book. It's a good read. Somebody wrote it yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. But, like, yeah. you know. It's been changed so many times. Yeah. So the King James Bible that everyone that everyone reads from today, there was, like, 64 books taken out of it um, because that was kind of the more free will stuff. Reincarnation was in the original Bible until Christianity met um, Buddhism and they went, oh, well, this is too close, you know, um, so we must, uh, let, let's tweak this. And if we, if you pay your way into heaven, we'll create hell so that if you pay, so if you pay the church, this will redeem you of your sins and you'll not go to hell. So hell 
was actually a place in Bethlehem um, where, and it was this pit where they would put criminals and just burn them alive. So they would just pour petrol on them. And that was deemed to be barbaric, obviously, even back in those days. And that was stopped. But that's actually what he- you would be sentenced to hell for, for crimes. So that's how hell ended up in the Bible as this fiery furnace of, of, a, of a pit. So no wonder you know? you'd want to pay people. You wouldn't want to be in a pit bloody with petrol poured yeah. over you. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. I don't know. So... Well, what about if you're? What about if you think your kid is gay? What can you do? Like, what can you do to help Great. them? So, when you when you've got children, just allow them to explore and come up with decisions themselves in the safest possible way. So, if a boy wants to play with Barbies and a girl wants to play with Action Man or she wants to do football and he wants to do dance, just let them explore it. You don't have to say, no, you have to do this, you have to do that. Just go, you know, here are your options. You can, there's rugby, there's ballet, there is disco dancing, there's the football club. Which out of these are gymnastics? Which out of all of these? Maybe gymnastics, great, try that. Um, so do you want to do the bars? No, I'd love to do the, the ribbon. Well, there you go. Try it. You know, you might, and then they, they, they try it and they discover it and there's no shame attached to anything that they do. Like I'm a perfect example of, you know, I was allowed to grow up and be my authentic self because nobody ever said that, said that I couldn't. And I've grown up to be very level-headed and um, I don't have, I'm a hundred percent comfortable in my own skin. So just, just listen to what they're saying. We've got two eyes, two ears, one mouth, and one brain. Because watch what your child does, listen to the words that they're saying, percolate everything, and then say, um, then tell your, your your children the advice and support that they that they need, and um, that is that's the best way. Because then, once children feel supported and heard, that is that's the, the most important gift that you can give them. And when they come, then they feel that they can ask questions. If you're going, don't be gay, don't be trans, don't be, oh, boys, don't do that, girls, don't do that. They'll never come to you with, with questions about that because they're frightened. Whereas if everything's on the table and everything's an open book, then whatever way they want to, whatever discussions that they want to have, they can, they can have them. And they can have them in a safe way, in an environment that they know, no matter what question they ask or whatever feelings they're feeling, they can they can be answered in a in a nice supportive way. You know, so it's a it's a just a it's a different way of, of approaching, but always giving children, you know, your sign. Cause, yeah, because somebody was saying to me the other day that I don't say um things like um oh, are you gonna have a girlfriend or have you got a girlfriend, have you got yeah. a boyfriend or you know or whatever because it's actually um it's actually already putting a a sexuality on that child as such yeah. by yeah. assuming that if they're a boy they'll have a girlfriend yeah. and if they're a girl they'll have a boyfriend yeah. yeah and so they've sort of you've already sort of put that pressure in their brain and i don't know if you you ever had that when when you were a kid um where somebody would say are you going to get married or are you going to have kids or whatever but um and let's face it i mean i've got loads of friends who are gay couples male gay couples who have 
kids basically they've got children they're fantastic their kids are really happy you know and um and so they should be there's no reason they shouldn't be in fact i think sometimes kids from straight parents are actually more unhappy because of the arguments and the you know you're not knowing like because there's a male and a female in that relationship it's like venus and mars do you know what i mean we don't understand each other although that stuff goes on in same-sex couples as well, arguments and all of that malarkey. But, yeah, so um, but somebody was saying don't actually stipulate male or female sort of stereotypes because yeah. you're putting pressure under for that child to go, oh, they think I'm going to get married. They think oh, being, no- being normal or being, um, and I don't like to use the word normal, but I, I'm not sure what's the right word at this point, but, like, being uh, straight or normal um, is I must be with a girl it's or whatever. So this is, yeah. this is as, as tribal pack, um, you know, creatures, we always need to stay within the safety of our, of our own pack. So if we do anything, we'll be ostracized from the pack. So it was always straight heterosexual and the education system was set up to have workers not thinkers so you go you start in p1 and one plus one is two here's what you do you go to school you get an education you get married to the opposite sex you get a job and then you're in that job for a certain period of time and then you retire and then you have grandchildren that's it pension status quo you're you're all in that buy a house you know be in debt all that yeah. type of thing where you're all being controlled by the yes. by the machine and that's okay because you're being controlled so you should there shouldn't be anarchy yeah so don't think outside because if you fit in this mold you are the you are you know superior so then you've got people who maybe are gay that then ended up getting married you know, to the opposite sex because they knew that that, that had to happen. And then they're in their late 40s, 50s or 60s and then coming out because they just, and then their partners are so betrayed because like, well, does this mean that you didn't really love me to begin with? Or, you know, and then the children have, you know, there's there's been so much pressure put on people. Whereas nowadays people are going, well, actually I am thinking, I am going outside and it's all to do with education. The education is power. The more knowledge you have about something, the better your judgment that you can make on whether this works for you or it doesn't work for you. So just allow things to be to be open. It, arm yourself with the information and then make your decisions. That is the best way to do um, anything. Yeah. Look, thank you for coming on board and, and spending time with us um, and talking to us about your life. No, because it's like, it's so fascinating about your journey and what you've actually been through. Cause it's been like, you've, you've gone through the most craziest times in Ireland. But if like, if people wanted to find out about Lady P um, or find out about you and what you do or get in touch with you and talk to you or do zoom, bingo or whatever which i think is fantastic and i'm so pissed off i didn't find out about that in lockdown being in melbourne in the most lockdown city i could have done with that on a friday um is there anywhere that they can contact you get in touch with you like i a lot of my work that i do and i do like zoom consultations and 
my main work is I work as a life strategist and work in, in high in high vibrational energy shifts to get people like operating as super, superhumans. So I help people get from A to B and help them fill in what is the what what's what's the middle part that gets them to where they're at. So you can the easiest way to get me, you know, I have websites, everything like that, but the easiest way to get me directly is Lady P and Me. Um, which is my Instagram. So it's L-A-D-Y, oh, wow. the letter P, A-N-D, me, M-E. Um, and that, because that goes straight to my phone. People email me and stuff like that there. And it's so much easier because, wow. you know, that's just direct. And then I can work it out or ping it across to my assistant or whatever. So if people are wanting to get in contact with me, I do have the UCAN network. So it's the letter U, and then equals the equal sign can network because and it's dot com um the whole thing about you can network is you can do anything that you want it's yeah. you can we can i can you can do anything that you want sometimes you need a little bit of extra support or help and we can do it together so you can stand on your own two feet to say i can that's fantastic okay. and like the charity stuff you were talking about earlier um is is are you still involved in all of that? Yep. What goes so on with that? That's through the UCAN network, and what oh, I'm doing now is um, fashion for fuel. So I'm organising events where people will come and sell clothes that they were going to give away to a charity shop. They then give um, the the cash that they make because they were going to give the clothes away anyway to the UCAN network, and then people apply for um, their electric bills. Fuel oh, bills. awesome! And um, uh, I'm reopening because I opened up a soup kitchen during lockdown, and I'm reopening the soup kitchen for this winter for um, for families who might need, you know, a little bit of wow. free substance, you know, good. Well, this is a thing because the prices are going through the roof yeah. in the UK. I know they are UK yeah. and Ireland. I know they definitely are. Yeah. I mean, it's just insane and crazy. I mean, they are here in in Australia, but we're now going into summer, so. Yeah. God help us if it gets hot here, but like we've got aircon and stuff like that. I mean, you poor yeah. guys were sweating and sweltering over in the UK yeah. and, and Ireland and because you guys aren't used to the heat like we are. But it's also that thing of now that we're entering, we're the opposite, we're entering winter that, you know, there are people who just will not have enough money because our, our, our cost of living has gone up so high, but wages haven't. So people who were just getting by are going to be in a scenario the same as when they were on um, during lockdowns. They were choosing between food and light and electricity. And so I want to, with this, that people can, you know, not have to worry about, you know, food or electric or gas. Well, I put the lights on or the heat on, you know, it's kind of like here is, you know, here is some food and here is, you know, your electric for the week and here is some gas, you know. Yeah, yeah. I know it's worrying. It's worrying in the UK. Hopefully, with a new prime minister and a blooming new king, I know. King Charles the Third. Who knows? Who knows? Sky's the limit, or it could all fall down. Who knows? But we hopefully try and help you to help other people, um, and you know, get people to support you. To the UCAN network, then it is. It's just the UCANnetwork.com, and it's the letter U, not the not yeah. the. And then you'll see me. I'm 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 all over the network. Yeah. I'll put all the blurb down on the and the podcasty bits, so that's okay. That's cool. Now, look, Marcus, I have one final question for you, and I'll be fascinated with your answer here. If you could recommend a book to my listeners, what book would you recommend and why? 
Well, so I have to say, I can't read and I've never read a book. So I can't. Oh my God, of course, you've been saying that all the way along. But what I, what is very interesting about that is one of the things that have got me through my entire life was the, I think it's Susan Jeffers. Um, Hold on. I have it here. Even though I have never, even though that I have never read the book and I, I can't read it. A book that I have always had, I only ever needed the title, was Susan Jeffers, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And basically, the long and short of this is, I have never, I've never read the book. I don't know what the content is. I don't know what she's talking about. But that title was enough for me that any time that I was in an environment that I that was out of my comfort zone, I just would think, feel the fear and do it anyway. I remember... The first time I walked into a straight bar and venue, it was double doors, and I was in this lovely black party dress, and I had my hands on the double doors, and I was really nervous because I didn't know how I was going to be received, and I just opened the double doors, and in my head, I was like, feel the fear, and do it anyway, and I walked in, and there's an amazing second book, which actually was made into a mini series, which you can get um, on YouTube, and it's called out on a limb by Shirley McLean. Out on a limb. Shirley, so there's um, it's it's four hours. So th- this entire book has been made into a mini series. And armed with these with these two books, even though one I only had the title and one I watched the mini series on cassette tape. Believe it or not, in that, it, what one of the biggest takeaways from it is there's no such thing as accidents. Everything happens for a reason. People are in your life and things happen. And once you realize that and start rolling with life and going, right, okay, I'm getting on the vibration of... Feel um, the fear and do it anyway. And so, yeah. So these these two books, even though I've never read them, one, if anybody wants to watch the miniseries on YouTube, and it's called Shirley MacLaine, Out of Limb. And she was a real pioneer to this way of to this way of thinking. Before her book, um, I'm over all that. Um, I've, I've also heard um, her read, read her own autobiography called I'm Over All That. She goes into all, all of her life and spirituality and all that and being the pioneer. And it's funny because I remember an interview that she was doing with Oprah and Oprah says to her, do you now not feel kind of like vindicated that, you know, you were right and now everyone's just catching up? She goes, I don't care that I was right or wrong. She goes, I was just giving people, I was helping people, giving them the tools. So I'm not sitting here going, haha, I'm right. I'm going, well, now you've caught up. So that's my top recommendations. Wow, brilliant. Fantastic. Thanks, Marcus. Well, look, you're in the UK and it's only morning where you are. It's evening here where I am. I've had my lovely coffee that um, I've I've had while I was chatting to you because I'm a great believer. Some of my strategies in life are a great morning routine and a great breakfast routine. Generally, I don't start my working day until 11.11. My assistant knows not to book anything in. Um, But because, obviously, but there's always 
you know, there's always rules to, to, to everything. Um, and I kind of thought, well, you know, this works great. I, I'm up at this time anyway, and I'm having my coffee. I normally sit in my bay window and watch the world go by and, and drink my coffee. But instead, I've spent my time with you, which has been great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Look, thank, oh, you. thank you. I know you're busy. There's loads of things that you're doing, as we've heard just now. So, like... Um, Look, thank you for spending the time with us. It's so thank brilliant. You. And I can't I can't wait to be on your podcast. That'll be I, me too. So you were in touch with Jean, weren't you? Was it Miss yes. Jean Gigi, who I do the podcast with? So also yes. the Dating and Love podcast is great fun because, as you know, I'm never short of anything to say, as you can hear. No. Uh, I am the king of the overshare. <laughs> so sometimes <laughs> I overshare a bit too much. But I don't care. No, that's okay. I'm just, you know, I'm human, so the rest You're of who so you I'm, are. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, so me too. Look, yeah, I'm the queen of the overshare as well. So that's okay. That's cool. There's some things on here that I've talked about that I go, oh, I'm not sure my mum and dad wanted to know that. But anyway, <laughs> never mind. It's all good. And, you know, it's like whatever. But look, I'm going to let you get on with your day. Thank you so Brilliant. much. Thank you. And um, I'll speak to you soon. <laughs> well, ciao, ciao. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you would like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content you want to hear just like this. If you want to check out our past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast, or for links, resources, and show notes, go to our website, www.strongsingleandhuman.com. We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey, and Twitter. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one is perfect. We're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast.